Take your Bible and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last several verses of this book. We have arrived, at least at the ending, but it's a new beginning in some ways. Before we take a few moments to read these scriptures together and then talk about them and the impact they have for all of us, let me remind you that today is the Lord's Supper, and particularly for those of you at home, if you want to take a few moments and get something that would symbolize the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, whether that is a cracker or a glass of water, glass of juice, uh, whatever the case may be, but at the conclusion of our message today, we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. If you happen to come in and you didn't get the elements handed to you, there will be an opportunity for you to have that at the end of the time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28, Paul's final words to at least the Thessalonian church, the, the first letter that he wrote to them, certainly not his last words, but uh, last words have a way of carrying some weight, some impact, and they do for the Thessal. Uh, Thessalonians, and I hope they do for us as well. Here's what he says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father, I am so grateful that you give us your word. I'm so grateful that you give us these beautiful signs and symbols of the gospel, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and that we have an opportunity as a church family to, to, to demonstrate those, to do those, not as a religious requirement, not as a, 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 an empty ritual, but as symbolic of the reality that we've taken the Lord Jesus into our lives, and that by His broken body and His shed blood that He has redeemed us from our sin. Lord, thank You that we have an opportunity now to delve into these last words in First Thessalonians, and uh, Lord, I pray that they would be uh, an impact. They have been to me. I pray they would continue to be, and to our people as well as we celebrate now um, your word proclaimed and heard. We thank you for that and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonathan, thank you for uh, getting the orchestra and the choir together and singing and leading our, our uh, congregation to sing praises to the Lord. Uh, you know what you were doing when you were doing that, don't you? You were honoring the Lord. You were glorifying the Lord. By the way, let me just throw this in by way of review. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief and highest end of man? Do you know the answer to that? You got it. It's man's chief and highest end is to glorify God. Now, I want you to watch this. Sometimes we view the Puritans as just these old, sour-faced people that didn't really enjoy God. That is not the case. 
And so when they wrote this straight out of Scripture, it is a twofold thing. It is not an either-or. It's not either glorify God or enjoy something else or even Him forever. It is glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, that is true. And if it is true, then let me just spread it out. Let me extrapolate that to the church. If that is the chief and highest end of man, then what is the chief and highest end of the church? The same thing, to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. The early church was saturated with this vision. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but how in the world did a very small and timid group of 120 people within a few years become a worldwide force? Do you want to know how? They had the big picture vision before them that we have just said. Not only as individuals, now they weren't perfect, but they had the big picture vision in front of them. Let me just run you through a couple of verses. They knew that they wanted this more than anything, even their own safety and comfort. They wanted for, now watch this, not the glory of the Lord, that's already covering the earth as the waters cover the seas. Read the Psalms. It's already a done deal. But the problem is that there are people in the world who don't know that the glory of the Lord is covering the earth as the waters cover the seas. And so they were saturated with that. They believed above everything else that God's glory was uppermost. That is so huge in our lives. Second thing, and this is just all about the glory of God. Now watch this, and we're going to go through a couple of verses here. They knew that there was only one entity given by God to get His glory out. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. He said of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now, you you see those dot, dot, dot. I'm skipping some things here to keep the, the, the thought together. You understand that? And to bring to light for everyone, everyone to whom he preached what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now watch this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that God be glorified, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is not plan B. I've said this in various contexts, mostly when I teach perspectives. If you don't know what that is, that is a missions course. Um, and I get to teach about that, and I, I use this, this concept. I, I try to tell people that the glory of God is what gripped the early church, and if it really grips us, we can be world changers. And I'm not just using that as some kind of triumphalistic statement. But we have to see that the church is uppermost in God's mind 
in his heart. And sometimes I say it like this because people know that uh, I am a Southern Baptist, and I this is a this is a Southern Baptist church. But when I do perspectives, it's a kind of a non-denominational, interdenominational thing. And so I, I tell them that sometimes I tell you guys that it may come as somewhat of a shock to you, but the Great Commission was not given to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was given to the church. A little, bitty, scared bunch of people who discovered what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then to go out into the world and just share the most shareable message on the face of the earth, that there is a Creator God who is also a Redeemer God, and He came to give life to all who would believe. Wow. We get to get in on that so that this is the last part of the big picture vision. Those of you who have taken perspectives, I know this sounds familiar, but this is stuff for us, not just a course on missions. And look at this. This is the ultimate result. You know what missions is all about? Missions exists. I said this last week because worship doesn't. And what God is after is the white-hot worship of Him and His Son among all peoples in the world. And so that, that, that vision that John has in Revelation, that someday there is going to be that group gathered around the throne from every tribe, every people, every language, every nation or people group, and they will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they will fall on their faces before the throne, and they will worship God. Wow. I, I've really done my best to set the stage. Maybe, I, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you just came out of at the end of this last week or, or, or maybe this last month or this last year. But I, here's what I wanted to do with that opening. Put, or let the Holy Spirit put in your heart a hunger for what the church could be in the whole plan of God, the glory of God. And now we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians and see how God can be glorified through His church. Now, it doesn't negate everything that we've studied so far, but as Paul ends, you know, final words are, are pretty important. And so as Paul ends this letter, he is basically saying there are several things that must happen for the church to glorify God. Not just the church at Thessalonica, but Heritage Baptist Church placed out here on Council Road in northwest Oklahoma City. And these, are, these are right on target and they're relevant. So you can see your outline there. Let's go through these. The first thing that has to happen is that the priority of prayer must be on your heart, we've already talked about that, but, but Paul specifically asks for a certain kind of prayer. He says, brothers, pray for us. And that's Paul and Silas and Timothy. And, and I love this, the way, the way that Paul says it. We need to pray 
or the priority of prayer among not only them, the leaders that were given to them that started the church, but what I'm asking you to do today is to pray for the leaders that God has put here at Heritage Baptist Church. Do you understand how important godly guidance is for the church? And all of the things that are out there saying go this way and go that way. And in every age, in every church, tough decisions have to be made. And just as we as leaders, and I'm talking about primarily, primarily now, I'm talking about your elders. We're, some of you don't even know that we have elders, and some of you don't even know who all of our elders are. If you show up this next Sunday for our annual meeting at 9 o'clock right here, Instead of our ABF classes, and we're encouraging you to do that, especially members, those of you at home, we want you to tune in too, but if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, we'll remind you of this a little bit later on, we'd love to have you come and see what we do and why we do it, what's important to us. And so our elders, our staff that are on the job everyday kind of guys that are here. They are also meet the qualifications of elders. And then our deacons, and then our ABF leaders. All of these people are, they're praying for you. And so what Paul says, I need a reciprocal thing to happen, much like what he did in, in the book of Romans in chapter 1. He said, I, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to impart a spiritual gift, but guess what? I need to receive uh, the same kind of spiritual gift from you. And I hope you pray for your leaders. When I have my quiet time, and I try to have it as consistently as I can, day by day, week by week, that's one of the things that I do. I pray for our, particularly for our staff, for our elders, and you need to know who they are so you can do that. We need your prayers. I'm telling you this, leaders simply can't do what we've been called to do. We can't make it without the prayers of the people. Do you understand why? This is not a Kiwanis Club. I, I, you know, as good as Kiwanis Club or Rotary might be, this is not that. We're about spiritual work. And, and any time that you sense that, and, and I'm sure you've been in churches where this has been your sense, that there is just a, de a decline. Nobody gets saved there's no growth in sanctification. That could be because of poor leadership. And I'm not excusing poor leadership, but it could be because the people of God don't really get it, don't really understand how important it is that you pray for leaders. So this is not a get down on you and this is just what you are doing, because I know so many of you do this, and what you are doing, like Paul says earlier in this letter, excel still more. I wrote down about 15 things this last week that you could pray, and I decided, well, with the Lord's Supper and all of that, and I have a meeting after church, uh, we better not go through all 15. So I boiled it down to four. You've got those. 
and I'm going to give a verse with it, a couple of verses in one case, and ask you to pray specifically for these things. We'll talk about each one of these things briefly, get on through the rest of the chapter. We'll have the Lord's Supper, and uh, that'll be it for the day, Lord willing. Okay, here's the first thing that I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for all of our leaders. Pray that we have a passion for God's glory. Didn't we just talk about that? Wouldn't it be great if all of your leaders, which we do, but pray for it more. Whatever level of passion we have for the things of God, for the glory of God, pray that we would even have an intensifying of that because the chief end of leaders is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. It's not just a 1 Corinthians 10.31 thing. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it's also, and I didn't write down this verse, but you're familiar with it in Matthew chapter 13, where, where Jesus tells about a treasure in the field. He's talking about the kingdom and for joy, for joy. A man went and sold everything that he had so he could have the treasure. Pray that we would not only glorify God, but pray that we would treasure him, that we would really enjoy him. Now, folks, that's beyond a feeling that you have. That's a reality. What are some things that you can pray specifically? Just, just You can jot these down or remember them. Pray that your leaders would always keep the main thing the main thing. That's pretty simple. By the way, these are things that you could pray for yourself. Pray that we would keep the, the main thing the main thing. You remember several years ago the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? That's okay as far as it goes. But here's what I'd really rather you pray. Maybe we need to have some bracelets made like this. WDGG. WD. GG, what does God get out of what I do? You see, God is the end of our search. He's not a means to another kind of end. And pray that we might have a personal, vital relationship with God. And I use the word passion, that we would prize God above all else. Who can say with me our memory verse for this new round of if you're doing our uh, memory verses this week or this month. Luke 9.23, isn't it, Jim, kicker, wherever you are? Isn't that it? If anyone wishes to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, how often? Daily, and follow after me. Pray that we would do that. Pray that, that Jesus would be Lord of our lives, even as He's the Savior of our souls. Pray that we would love what God loves and hate what He hates. That's a constant prayer that I have for my, for my own family and for you, that you would love what God loves. And, and the thing is, that's what we try to do Sunday by Sunday and, and, and Wednesday by Wednesday, and every time we open the Word we're just trying to find out what does God love and what does God hate, and then we just want to get in on that. And you know what, you know what will happen if you do this, if you pray 
for, for your leaders and for, for yourselves, a passion for your glory, that will impact not just the church as an organization, that will impact our own personal lives, and that's where we're going next in the next part of the outline. You see, God's glory, God's glory makes a difference in everything. Let's say you have a disagreement with your husband or your wife. I'll just use that. For those of you who aren't married, with your best friend. And you may be motivated because of feeling certain ways or other kinds of things to do the right thing to make that relationship right. But what if, as your highest goal, you have the glory of God? Mm. That will make all the difference in your world, in, uh, in, in the world, in your particular relationships. And that's the second thing. Pray for my personal life. Pray for my relationships. Pray for your leaders' personal lives and for their relationships. Here are some things that I mean by that. Pray that we have personal purity and integrity. Pray that we would be willing to be held accountable. You see what the writer of the Hebrews said. We are sure that we have a clear conscience. I, I'm not so sure that many or that, that every preacher does, every leader does. That, that is so important. Humility. Humility just to admit when you're wrong. You know, I, I, I've always loved the picture of Paul's humility, how he grew in that. When he wrote at the very beginning of his ministry, you know what he called himself? He said, I am the least of the apostles. That's pretty humble, wouldn't you say? But as he grew in his relationship with the Lord, then later on in the book of Ephesians, that was in 1 Corinthians, then later on he says, uh, you know what? I'm not just the least of the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. Wow. Growth in humility. But you know what he did when he got to the very last of his life? Writing to Timothy. He said, no, I'm not just the least of the apostles. I'm not just the least of all the saints. I'm the chief of sinners. Pray that your leaders would have that kind of humility. It's going to impact their families and their marriages. Because if not, leaders. I know some people still think that leaders can't be hooked. I like to fish for trout. Some of you do too. I like to fly fish. That's the purest way of fishing for trout. But if you don't fly fish, then you can always get an ultralight, rig it up with a casting bubble, get a treble hook, a little tiny treble hook, and put some salmon eggs on it and throw it out there. You'll probably catch more fish than I do. But do you know why? With a treble hook? Why fish with a treble hook? Because I can guarantee that fish is not going to get away. If I'm fishing with a fly rig and I'm fishing with a barbless hook, I, I can't tell you how many fish you're going to lose. But I'm telling you, with a treble hook, 
that they're going to swallow it. I won't go into all the gory details about gutting that fish and all the rest of that. The fish ain't getting away. Now, guess what? Satan has a treble hook for leaders and for men particularly. I might get to the ladies at a later time, but you know what they are? This is not new with me. This has been around for a long time. Gold, glory, and girls. Three G's. Shared this with my son, shared this with my grandson. I'll share it with my youngest grandson when he gets old enough. And Satan will try to trip us up in one of those three areas. Money, comfort, possessions, stuff, glory, celebrity. Oh, pastor, you're just the best. That's okay as long as you go back to the humility that I'm the chief of sinners and anything that, that happens is by God's grace alone, through faith alone. And then girls. The three G's. You got those written down, men? Okay, I, that's good for you men to pray for yourselves, but pray this for your leaders so that we won't end up like Ravi Zacharias. I am not here to judge that man's heart as to whether he's in heaven or hell. I don't think that's profitable. But what I can say to you is an old John MacArthur quote, that no one ever just falls out of a tree. It's been proven that over 20 years' time, I don't know where it started. But here's why I say pray for personal purity, pray for accountability, that my wife would know all of my passwords, how to get on my computer and read my history, or to go find it if I've erased it. To encourage me to, to invest in a program like Covenant Eyes and to be able to ask me questions, have on my cell phone, find my phone, which shows where my cell phone is at all times. None of those are foolproof because you, you've got to get to the heart. That's why I say pray for your pastors, for your leaders, their personal lives, their relationships. Third thing that you can pray. You've already got a lot to pray for, right? I, I'll tell you, I, we, we need this. We must have this, people. Pray for the proclamation of God's Word. God's Word. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here, several. Boom, boom, boom. Pray for the proclamation of God's Word because why? Do you think we're living in the last days? Do you maybe just kind of have a suspicion? Guess what? The first century Christians believed they were living in the last days too. Are we going through unprecedented times? Hey, you know what? We're just catching up with the rest of the world. Go and talk to Christians in Iran or Korea, North Korea. We're just catching up. I think we're going to get there. But difficult times will come. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you think that's happening? 
But as for you, Timothy and leaders, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Don't leave sound doctrine. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Here's, here's one of the things that I really, really want you to pray for all of your leaders. Pray this for yourselves too. Pray that we would finish well. Pray that we would finish well. I don't know if that means dying literally in the pulpit. If I do, just give an invitation. That'd probably be the best thing you could do. And, and go on, dismiss. Jonathan, 50 verses of just as I am, okay? <laughs> Death is coming to us all. Repent. Do you think this man was a worse sinner than you all? I tell you no, but unless you repent. Pray for proclamation. I, I, I love this. Pray, and, and this is a Holy Spirit thing, that as the Word is proclaimed Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, all other times when discipleship is taking place, we want to pray not that we would be put forward, but pray that the Word of God would be put forward, would be honored. Not us be honored, but the Word of God be honored. Sola Scriptura, the Word. We've talked about that, and we'll talk about it next week, and we'll talk about it again. Faithful and bold. Diligence in study and prep. Just pray that we would be diligent to advance the gospel. Always ask the question every time you come into this place and leave this place, what is being preached? What is being taught? Is it gospel-centered? Is it Christ-focused? Hold my feet and the feet of your leaders to the fire. Please, I beg of you. There's a reason why Paul told Timothy to watch yourself and to watch your teaching, watch your doctrine. And it can happen. I, I, don't, I, I don't know all of the history of Max Licato. That's a name. Does, everybody in, does anybody in the room not know who Max Licato is? Again, I'm not judging whether the man is saved or lost, and he, he has a I've got a number of his books because he's just a great illustrator and storyteller. And my guess is that at one time, at least back in 2004, because he admits to it, preaching a sermon on the sanctity of marriage. But this last month, he apologized for preaching that sermon and said that he was wrong. I, didn't, I don't know what the sermon entailed. He said it was damaging to his LGBTQIA plus friends, and he was sorry for it. Maybe he just said some very, very degrading things to them. I don't know. Maybe he called them names, and that, that's never right if we're going to show 
the appropriate kind of love for everyone, but he goes beyond that. And he doesn't call them to repent. He calls them children of God without calling them to repentance. So that's why Paul says, watch yourselves and your doctrine. And even in death, I, I, I tell you, I pray this, and you, I, I've shared this with you before. Pray that even in death, I would glorify God. I don't want a bellyache when I'm dying. Knowing this, that the Puritans have said it, and I believe that it's true. I just, uh, I'll just throw it out there. Thomas Boston said, the day of your death, and he was quoting Scripture basically, will be better than the day of your birth comes out straight out of Ecclesiastes. And so, even in death, to glorify God. Last thing, I, I guess I could just spend all kinds of time. Uh, do, do you, are you beginning to understand why you need to pray for me? You're probably thinking, listening to this sermon, wow, he's got a lot of problems. I really need to pray for him. Well, you got it right. <laughs> I need your prayers. I beg I beg for your prayers, for, for your other leaders too, your elders and your pastors and deacons. Pray that we would fulfill God's commission. God's commission. Not my commission. God's commission. God has a commission for everyone in this room. And Paul basically said this, I don't really look at my life and as being of any particular value or precious to myself. Now, he had the right kind of view. He wasn't downing himself. I'll just put this verse down beside this verse that you write, Romans 12, 3. I didn't say this a minute ago, but humility is accepting what God says about you without arguing, okay? That's what Romans 12, 3 is all about. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Well, this was, this was Paul's life. He said, I want to finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You don't have to be a preacher to fulfill your commission, but by all means, please pray that we, all of your leaders, finish well. And all of this is tied to the above. I, I, I've been thinking over this last year, people have asked. Most of my, my friends, even friends in ministry, have already retired. Some of them retired. They haven't really retired. They're still involved in ministry. But, but I've asked myself, and people have said, well, you're going to retire anytime soon? And I, I kind of think, you know, the whole thing about commission, I'm, I'm still on active duty. We're in a battle. I, I mean, at least as, as intense as any battle that I've ever personally gone through as a leader of a church. We're in a battle. How can I retire in the middle of a battle? So please pray that we have strength equal to our days. I, I've, I've asked you to pray this before. There are many new people, so you write this down and pray for, for me and for our leaders and, and this is something that I pray. Please, God, don't let me stop what I'm doing. And, and, and by the way, when I stop doing what I'm doing, I just plan to shift gears, okay? That's my plan. 
But please don't let me stop one second before it's your appointed time that I stop. But don't let me continue one second beyond my appointed time. In other words, wisdom, insight, discernment, so that I can finish well. Would you pray that for me and for our elders and for our pastors and for our deacons? All right, the priority of prayer. That's how Paul started this little ending. He goes on to a second thing. The priority of fellowship among God's people. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Kiss. Now, let me just say, that was a, that was a cultural thing. All right? People have abused this. Don't abuse it. But there are some countries, we visit Turkey regularly, and guess what happens when you show up on a Sunday morning? Now, this was before COVID, but I guarantee, and by the way, uh, those guys, Turks, they have heavy beards. I'm talking about the men, okay? <laughs> they have heavy beards, and you know, they, they're so demonstrative, and especially believers, and they see you, and you're this uh, washed-out guy from over there, the, the, and they grab you and, they, you know, rub on one side like that. Not on the lips. Give that kiss. That's, that's the standard greeting. Here, here's what he is saying. There's a priority. There is a plan for God to be glorified in the fellowship of other believers. And so, just do that. By the way, I'm going to try to say this in, in a certain way next week. Don't think of us as the church in the COVID age. According to the New, to the New Testament, this is the church's age. And we are going through this particular challenge, and that's why I am, I am grateful. Let me just say this. I am grateful that, that what, what this last year has done is expose a lot in me and in a lot of us. It's exposed many different things. Let, let me just go on and uh, I think uh, this was what I quoted a minute ago. So I, I just want to say this. I want to thank, and I'm thanking those who are watching at home who, who seek every week, whether it's at this time or another time, to gather as best you can. You're responsible for your own health. I, 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 I understand that and applaud that. But I also applaud when people hunger to get together as the people of God. And Heritage, I, I want to say to you, to many, many of you here and at home and in the other venues, thank you because I, I feel like you have maximized your membership. See, all COVID does, it doesn't do a thing. It doesn't make us do anything. It just reveals. And there are others that I want to give a loving word of exhortation, pastoral exhortation. Obviously, it's not you who are here. And probably not even listening. But with the gratitude comes a, a word of encouragement 
not to just live in a settled for kind of church membership. I don't know. Maybe we, we've thought a lot about this, and we're going to talk more about this, about what it means to join the church. It means making promises, and maybe we need to emphasize that better, more thoroughly in our Membership Matters class. It means joining with one another, and, and I, I'm just thinking, I know that we've been very fluid. The church in the West is very fluid anyway, but we've seen a lot of fluidity in the last year. And that's okay. I get it. I've left churches and joined other churches, but at least if we are a body, let me, again, this is a word of pastoral encouragement. If you sense that this is a a, a time when you need to go, examine the reasons and at least talk to someone that you respect who's mature in the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be another pastor. It it could be, but another believer. And let them pray with you about your decision. Is is that fair? Does that sound right? I I think it is. So that we, we don't just do the thing of someone called it dating the church and church hopping. Again, this is not a club. We are joined to one another. I know tensions exist in the church, they exist in every family, and they exist within every individual. God still wants to be glorified in the church. Last two things, and they really go together, the priority of God's Word. We've already talked about that, kind of. Here's what it says. I put, this is strong, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. They, they didn't have the Bible. It wasn't complete. I mean, the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. But basically, what, what Paul was saying to them, read my letter because it is divine inspiration. This is God's Word that is coming to you, therefore read it. And by the way, he means more than just read it out loud until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And do you know what this does when he says this? It goes back to the other thing. It assumes a gathering. Yes, that gathering might have been in a house church. didn't have to be in a a, a building. Perhaps it was. But it does assume that God commands things in His Scripture and we humbly obey We treat these things as, and again, we're going to talk about this more next week, uh, absolute truth. (sighs) Relativism is not a new thing. It goes back to the garden. Has God really said? But we see it erupt. We see it in our culture. And so if we hold to the fact, by the way, I'm of the persuasion that no one who even says absolute truth must be rejected, they can't be consistent with that. They've just made an absolute statement. So please, don't fall into, I'm going to go back into movie theology again. 
Don't do what a lot of Christians do. They, ex- they espouse a Star Wars relativism. As much as I like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was a liar. Luke, a young Jedi by the name of Darth Vader, who was seduced by the dark side, murdered your father. Eh. He lied. And in fact, Luke confronts him with it later on. And like many college professors today, what did Obi-Wan say? I wrote it down. Luke, here's a college professor talking to, to, to some of you out there. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to, absolute truth, depend greatly on our own point of view. Again, no one ever lives consistently by that. And that is an absolute statement. Okay, i got to get to the last one. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper for supper, okay? (laughs) All right, verse 28, the priority of God's grace with them all, and this leads into the very last thing. This is the benediction, grace. What does he mean by grace? It's the gospel of grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. God aims to glorify Himself by working for us. He, he's not, I like, I like what John Piper said in his book, Desiring God, he's not, God is not hanging out a help-wanted sign for you to come in and help Him out. It's us. We're the ones who need to hang out the help wanted sign. God, I I cannot do that. I can't save myself. I can't live the Christian life by myself. I need your grace. And God is glorified when His grace is poured out and given to sinners. Let me ask you to just pray with me for a moment. I'll ask you too during this time, if someone did not get a communion cup, would you raise your hand? We'll get some to you in just a moment. I think everybody got one. There's one over here. Okay. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Paul uh, puts a lot into uh, just a final word of, of exhortation, and he doesn't pull any punches. And Lord, we need all of these things as priorities for us if we are to glorify you. Now, God, I pray that if there is someone here today who has come in and they, they might even be a church member or even a professing Christian, but they, it's been revealed to them that they are a sinner undone, that they cannot help themselves in terms of salvation, would you show them the glory of the gospel? Christ gave himself as our substitute, and by repenting, turning away from sin, and turning by faith to Jesus Christ, that man or woman or young person or child 
can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Oh God, grant that it be so. Now Lord, as a, a picture of that whole process, I pray that you would show us now through the Lord's Supper, the taking of the Lord's Supper, exactly that, what you have done for every one of us. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.